You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how's it going this evening? It's going great, man. I'm really surprised that you're still allowing me to do the show with you after your incredible week of crushing M19 draft. I know. It has been insane. I've been on a huge heater. A huge heater. Uh, but I've been enjoying myself uh, in this new limited format this week. How about you? Yeah, it's been great. It feels nice to get back to straightforward drafting after some of the complexity of Dominaria. It's a breath of fresh air for me. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot simpler for someone like you to handle. <laughs> Sorry, I, could, I couldn't help myself. You you just set that up so nicely. I, no, I, I think it's true. I do think this format lends itself to my drafting and play style much more so than Dominaria did. Well, I'm very much looking forward to getting to pick your brain about it because you have been destroying the format. We got to check in on the trophy leaderboard right off the bat. How's it been going for you? Yeah, so far I've got 13 drafts under my belt, six trophies, a 32-7 and seven overall record for an 82% win rate. I have not one tued or O2'd yet, fingers crossed, and I've got another awesome black-white deck queued up when I get a chance to play Magic again. Oh my god, that is ridiculous. So I'm... I started off a lot rockier than that, uh, but I've got so I've got 24 drafts under my belt, seven trophies for a 47 and 23 record and a 67% win rate. So I've clawed myself back up to my two thirds win rate, which makes me happy. Yeah. And you've had some tough drafts and some tough variants too. I've been watching your stream a decent amount. So 67% is very good. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. I was, I was down in the fifties for, for a minute there this week, but, but I came, came back up and I feel like, I feel like especially towards the end of the week that I had a bit of a, a breakthrough. I sort of like looked at my, I don't know, halfway through the week, looked at my, uh, my winning decks, I had three at the, at the time, my three trophy decks, and I was just trying to figure out like, okay, what is like, what's happening here? And I feel like that was the start of me figuring out like maybe that this, what this format is trying to do or what this format rewards players for doing. And we're going to have that in store for you today. But before we get into all that, we got to talk about the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is the place to go to give back to the show if you'd like to. Uh, the show will always be free. Um, but some people choose to give back to support the show uh, in a financial way. And we like to incentivize people, give them back a little something for showing us some love that way. And the base level that we give back to you for the $1 donations, that's access to the Lords of Limited Discord. And this was probably my favorite week so far of being in on the Discord. We had a lot of people clamoring to figure out the format, figure out what archetypes were working. I really took the time to go through all the trophy decks this week to continue to see like, okay, what's going on? Are there trends? What, what am I seeing? What color pairs are winning? What sorts of cards keep showing up again and you can get that too so we got a lot of people just drafting the day away the week away and figuring out the format right off the bat uh, you can get access to the show notes and a little pre-show recording for some higher donations and we want to make sure we shout out everyone and we have a lot of new people this week so we want to welcome to the fold russell vincent Piotr, alan jacob jens chris patrick jason john james and jesse Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, we cannot say thank you enough. And you are totally right. The discord is hopping at the beginning of a format. It's just so cool. Like to have the discussions with people, I would not be 
doing as well as I am in the format, I don't think, without access to the Discord and the people there and seeing the trophy decks and just trying to figure out the format together. It's a really, really cool place to hang at the start of a format. We've had a chance to draft now this week, so we don't have to do any fake draft simulators for our roundtable discussion. I've got a draft that was a little tricky that I had earlier this week. So Ben, would you like to take a seat at the roundtable? Absolutely. All right. So here's what we got in store for you. Pack one, pick one, cards in consideration. There's Essence Scatter, one and a blue for the instant, counter target creature spell. Electrify, three and a red for the instant, deal four damage to target creature. Uh, Druid of Horns, three and a green for the two, three. Whenever you cast an aura spell that targets it, you create a three, three green beast creature token. Declare Dominance, three green, green for the sorcery. Target creature gets plus three, plus three until end of turn. All creatures able to block it this turn do so. And your rare is Dragon's Horde. This is the glorified manolith. Three mana for an artifact that taps add one mana of any color, um, but it's also got a little dragon synergy. Whenever a dragon enters the battlefield under your control, you put a rate a gold counter on it and then you can tap to remove a gold counter from it to draw a card yeah i'm gonna immediately rule out dragon's horde that doesn't make me want to draft a dragon's deck i want to have some spark tongue dragons and then pick up my dragon's horde similarly i'm also going to rule out druid of horns quickly because i think declare dominance is a more powerful green card to take pack one pick one so then we're looking at essence scatter electrify and declare dominance and i think Power level wise, it comes down pretty quickly to Essence Scatter and Declare Dominance. For me, my initial reaction is to take Essence Scatter because it's two mana and two drops are so hard to come by in this format and it so frequently trades up on mana. I just find myself constantly saying, don't have Essence Scatter, don't have Essence Scatter, don't have Essence Scatter. Yeah. But I think Declare Dominance is a more powerful card. That card wins games. Uh, yes, it does nothing if you're behind, but if you're at parity or ahead, it does a lot. So I think I would end up on Declare Dominance, but I wouldn't fault anyone for taking Essence Scatter here. I would fault someone for taking Essence Scatter here. <laughs> like, Declare Dominance, I think, is one of the feel-bad cards of the format. It's one of, one of my problems with it. Like, I've been saying, like, I'm liking the format, but I think it might get old kind of quickly because of the prevalence of what I've been calling oops, I win cards and declare dominance has a very oops, I win feeling to it. Like you feel like you're playing a game of magic. You feel like you're grinding out a board state and then your opponent just casts this card and you lose on the spot. I I know that it does nothing when you're behind, but in in many other states of the game, it's it's a blowout or it's just a just a straight win. So I, I grabbed declare dominance here as well. Pack one, pick two, see the following options. Uh, There's a Colossal Dreadmaw, four green green for the 6-6, Dino with Trample. But by this point, who doesn't know what Colossal Dreadmaw does? You know, (laughs) been in every set since 1993. Love that guy. Boggard Brute, two in red for the 3-2, Goblin Warrior with Menace. Uh, Rupture Spires is the uncommon land enters the battlefield tapped. Uh, You have to pay one when it enters the battlefield or sacrifice it, and it taps to add one mana of any color. Another mana fixer in Gift of Paradise, two and a green for the aura. Enchant land enters the battlefield. You gain three life, and Enchanted land has tap to add two mana of any one color to your mana pool. And Regal Bloodlord, three white black for the two four vampire with flying, and at the beginning of each end step, if you gained life this turn, create a one one black bat creature token flying yeah and our rear is elvish clan caller so worth noting that the rear is still here so that means somebody took a common out of this pack for me i think it quickly comes down to regal blood lord versus colossal dreadmaw mm-hmm. so the gift of paradise and rupture spire are nice fixing but in my current state of drafting the format i'm trying not to splash i think you know, we're going to talk about in the episode that synergy is a driving force behind a lot of decks that are good. And I think a lot of the synergy exists pretty naturally in two color pairs. So I think if you're splashing, you're probably doing more of a good stuff type deck, which is also a fine way to win. But I've been enjoying drafting two color synergy decks. So like the Dreadmall is a fine follow up to 
declare dominance. You know, having a 6-6 trample declare dominance onto is nice, but I think you're going to hope to pick those up later. So I think I would land on the most powerful card in the pack, and I think that's Regal Blood Lord, and just try to stay open and figure out what my lane is supposed to be doing. Yeah, the more and more that I've decided that synergy is what wins games of magic or synergy is what trophies i should say in this format i feel much better about taking some of the more powerful gold uncommons early and just think of them as like high risk high reward picks like yeah i'm taking a two color card early but if i end up carving that out for my seat then i'm gonna get paid off big time and regal bloodlord is just about the best you can do in the white black uh life gain deck so i grabbed that here as well uh pack one pick three you see the following cards uh there's a gearsmith guardian that's five mana for the three five artifact construct but it gets plus two plus oh as long as you control a blue creature have you played this in any non-blue decks yet i have not played it in a non-blue deck yet but it's been very impressive in blue decks yeah for sure five mana for a five five in blue is great i think this is basically you we can basically consider this a four in a blue card most of the time uh there's another colossal dread maw there's an Avon Wind Mage, two and a blue for the 2-2 Bird Wizard with flying. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Uh, another Rupture Spires, the land that can tap for any color of mana. And Gear Guide is two and a green for the 3-2. Uh, and you can pay two and a green to give target creature you control uh, the ability to not be blocked by creatures with power two or less this turn. Yeah, this is a tough pack. There's a lot of like mediocre cards here that don't really make me want to do anything in particular. The Avon Wind Mage and Gearsmith Guardian are not really good enough to push me into blue. I'm not particularly excited with Gear Upper Guide or Colossal Dreadmaw to pair with Declare Dominance. And Rupture Spire, I sort of feel like, similarly to what I said before, that I'm generally hoping not to splash. So I think I would just take Gear Upper Guide. Gear Upper Guide might be the best card in this pack, and it goes along with Declare Dominance. Uh, I think it's fairly close between Gear Upper Guide and Rupture Spire. Yeah, I landed on the Rupture Spire. I agree with you. Gear Upper Guide has been, I think, pretty great uh, in this format so far um, as a way to like close out some games or make combat kind of awkward um but i was thinking what i was thinking was that i've already got a powerful card that i really want to play in regal bloodlord and also a, another powerful card in declare dominance and there was a rupture spire and a gift of paradise in our last pack and so maybe if i grab this rupture spire here and maybe if one of those other fixer good fixers wheel and i think those are really the two best fixers in the format that maybe maybe i could do some sort of like just good stuff deck because it didn't seem so far that there was like a, a lane sort of being presented to me but i could definitely see just taking one of the green creatures and I would have landed on Guide. But I grabbed Spire here. Pack one, pick four. This will be the last one we'll look at. Uh, you see uh, a number of, of pretty decent cards. You've got an Omen Speaker, one and a blue for a 1-3. Enters the battlefield, you scry two. There's Centaur Courser, two and a green for the 3-3. Three, three. Bristling Boar, three and a green for the 4-3 uh, that uh, can't be blocked by more than one creature. And there's a Skilled Animator. This card has impressed me. Two and a blue for a 1-3 Artificer. And when it enters the battlefield, target artifact you control becomes an artifact creature with base power toughness 5-5 five, five, for as long as Skilled Animator remains on the battlefield. Yeah, Skilled Animator has been a house. On turn three, making the playing the one-two that makes a Thopter along with it. What's that guy's name? Aviation Pioneer. That one, yeah. If you play Aviation Pioneer into Skilled Animator, that's been a very strong start for blue decks. I've been able to do that, and I've been on the receiving end of that. But I don't think I want to pick that up not having any blue cards or any artifacts. That's sort of like picking another gold card almost in a way. Correct. So I think between the green cards, which is what I'm looking at after picking gear per guide, so then I'd have declare dominance gear per guide and another green card, just sort of solidifying myself in green and trying to figure out what my second color is. And I've been trying to do that a lot in this format so far in my drafts is to get 
a base color and try to leave myself a lot of flexibility as far as what the second color I pair with it is. Mm-hmm. I think I would land on Courser over Boar. I think Courser is the third best green common, and I, I think it's a fairly clear pick here out of this pack for me. Yep, I agreed, and I grabbed the Centaur Courser. Uh, the rest of this pack saw me getting uh, some good blue cards late. I got an Essence Scatter next, and then uh, a copy of Sleep, which is another one of my Oops, I Win cards of the format. Uh, that's two blue-blue for the sorcery to tap all creatures, uh, target player controls, and they don't untap during their uh, next untap step. Um, And then I ended up getting some pretty good green cards late and actually had two different builds at the end of the draft. One was a mono green build. I got a Gigantosaurus pack three, pick three that I just couldn't resist taking. But I also had a pretty good green blue deck with uh, triple essence scatter. Um, And I actually shared the the final builds with you. And we decided that the, the mono green deck looked more powerful. And it certainly played out that way, but I wasn't able to snag a trophy, ended up two running with that deck. Yeah, that deck was sweet. Yeah, it was sweet. I've been mono green now three times in 24 drafts. Yeah, monocolor decks are a thing. I've been mono blue when you Skyped in. Mm -hmm. You've been mono white also. Yeah, yeah, I think. And I've seen a lot of mono red decks. I'm not surprised that I've not seen a mono black deck. That that seems like a pretty tough thing to come together just because black has a pretty shallow ranking of commons when it comes down to it. But the rest of the colors seem to have a pretty deep roster if if you want to do the thing that that color is trying to do. All right, so this is our first week drafting the format. Let's let's get some big picture questions out in the open. First of all, what do you think about this format in terms of prints or popper? It's an interesting question. I think ultimately it boils down to popper for me with just some random feel terrible cards thrown in at like uncommon and mythic rare there's patient rebuilding three blue blue for the enchantment at the beginning of your upkeep your opponent mills three and for each land they milled you draw a card there's sleep the two blue blue tap target creatures your opponent controls they don't untap for another untap step there's declare dominance we've already talked about there's like a lot of really powerful rare dragons running around but other than that, there are also some powerhouse commons. I think it to me, it has to be pauper because of White's roster of commons that are Luminous Bonds, Star Crown Stag, Pegasus Courser, and Angel of the Dawn. Those four cards are so so format warping and so format defining to me that it that just ultimately feels like a pauper format to me. Yeah, I'm gonna second everything you said. Aside from a handful of feel bad cards, by and large, I'm feeling like commons and uncommons are what are winning or losing games of magic in this format what do you think about number of lands this seems fairly straightforward so far it just seems like we're at 17 lands yeah yeah i've been running 17 almost all of the time i think occasionally you're gonna run 16 in a very focused aggressive deck and i think occasionally you're gonna run 18 if you've got some divinations in a blue deck or sifts or things like that or you really want to hit land drop numbers four and five Yeah, yeah, for sure. We've had uh, the good fortune of being given access to a really sweet spreadsheet to keep track of our drafts, our our color pairings and color win rates and all that uh, from uh, one of our uh, listeners and patrons, uh, Curzone. Um, So we'll, we'll make sure to share a copy of this. He's been kind enough to let us share this with you fine folks. So we'll share a copy of this in the like the description below the, the podcast. So people, if they want to start tracking their their decks and, and win rate like this as well, they can. But we've got some access to some color stats. So what, what have you been noticing early on in your in your amazing run so far about the colors that you've been winning with? Yeah, black of all the colors I've drafted has been my winningest color. Uh, but I've only done it in five of my drafts. It's also my least drafted color aside from red, which I have not done any drafts of yet. Whoa. <laughs> Um, so I've done five black drafts and three of those have trophied, uh, and I have an 86% win rate when playing black, 
followed by white as the next best color. Interesting. Yeah, for a while I hadn't drafted black. I think I got near near to 20 drafts and hadn't drafted black yet. Um, but I do have two black drafts under my belt now. So I have played all colors, but black and red certainly the least. I've done two drafts of black and four of red. White, blue, and green. I've drafted green a ton. 16 of my 24 drafts have been green. And my best color pair is blue-white. I've got five drafts and three trophies as blue-white. So that has been a very successful color pair to me. And I think we'll get into to why that is in just a bit. Yeah, my my best color pair is black white followed by blue white. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, black white definitely just seems fantastic, but also has been tough for me to to get into. I haven't seen it open very often. So, we're going to talk about what we think some color pairs are doing and we've been talking about synergy being pretty important in the format and we'll talk about why we think that is. Um, but before that, what I want to look at is one of the defining features of the format, which is that a lot of the two drops aren't very good. It's kind of tough if you're not in a dedicated aggressive assertive deck, which definitely exists out there. But if you're not, your choice of good two drops is tough. And I think you need to prioritize them. And this feels like something that we sort of figured out early-ish on in the week of like, where are the good two drops? There aren't any. So what are the good ones? And when do we take them? So I made a just sort of like rudimentary list here of what one's looked pretty good at common and uncommon that were non-assertive. So I'm not going to be talking about the the two mana two ones or three ones of the format, the things that are good at attacking. Want to look at at things if you're not in a dedicated deck like that. So in green, we've got just two, Druid of the Cowl, the Ramper, and Dryad Greenseeker, which is one of the green for the one three that you can tap to look at the top card of your library. And if it's a land, you can put it into your hand. What's white got going on for it? White's got Daybreak Chaplain, one on a white for the one three lifelink, and a Johnny's Pride Mate, one on a white for the two two. And whenever you gain life, put a plus one plus one counter on it. Black's got a couple of two mana one ones in Doomed Dissenter and Reassembling Skeleton. And I put on here uh, one of our new favorite cards, Vampire Neonate. That's the single black mana for the O3 that you can pay two to tap it and drain your opponent for one. Um, that card is feels like an honorary two drop, just like pretty good at blocking those aggressive two power creatures. Yeah, Vampire Neonate is a house. It's my new favorite card in the set. It just opens up so much for your draft. Yeah, I totally agree. What's blue got? Blue's got Departed Deckhand, the Matt Bedsoul. <laughs> One on a blue for the 2-2, two, two, and it can't be blocked except by spirits, and you can pay, it is a spirit itself, and you can pay three and a blue to make target other creature you control be unable to be blocked by spirits until end of turn. There's Omen Speaker, one in a blue for the 1-3 when it ETBs Scry 2. Surge Mare, double blue for the 0-5. Whenever it deals combat damage to an opponent, you get a loot and has one in a blue to give it plus two, minus two. And Essence Scatter, one in a blue for the instant counter target creature spell. Yeah, and red doesn't really have any. Um, this may be why you haven't drafted it that much. It feels like you've, if, you've, if you're red, you've got to be going on the front foot there. Um, you know, it's got... Goblin Instigator, it's got the Vyashino Pyromancer, that's the 2-1 that ETBs and deals 2 to the opponent, but there's not really anything going on in the defensive or uh, or non-assertive department there. So let's let's talk for a second though, you said there aren't good 2 drops like in a non-assertive deck, I think even if you are those decks and you're playing those 2 mana 2 ones, I don't think those are good 2 drops most of the time. Oh, I disagree. Have you not seen these like, r- like really strong red-white decks that people have been posting their 3-0s with? I have, and I've been beating them pretty soundly with black, white, and some of the cards that are good against X ones. Sure, but what I like, but people are trophying with these decks. Yeah, yeah, but I still think I still think it's similar to like some of the decks in Ixalan, like blue, red, or things like that. I think if people want to beat 
a deck that's attacking with two ones, I certainly think the tools are there to do it in the format. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite. I haven't drafted the aggressive decks yet, but I'm not ready to say like I'm. I'm not feeling like we're at avoiding the aggro trap territory yet. No, I no, I agree, but I I just don't. I, uh, they're so fragile. I yeah, I agree. I mean, I haven't been building decks with them either. I've been tending towards the more synergy based things that are going on and not really looking at red white. But I think red white is a deck to be reckoned with in the format from what I've seen. I agree, but I think Red White's good because of Pegasus Courser, Star Crown Stag, and Angel of the Dawn, not because of the two drops. Like you're playing bad two drops into those good cards, would be how I would look at it. Yeah, unless you're looking at going go wide, in which case I feel like a lot of the things like Goblin Instigator get better because you get to reap the benefits of Inspired Charge and certainly Angel of the Dawn, but also the um, red-white uncommon card. I'm forgetting that. The reinforcements. Heroic reinforcements, yeah. Yeah, I feel like there are like things in the format that allow that deck to feel much greater than the sum of its parts. Oh, I absolutely agree. Goblin Instigator is great in that deck. Yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, like I, I feel like, yes, those cards are still maybe slightly embarrassing on turn two, but if you have the tools to back them up, they can feel very strong. What is your feeling about the speed of this format? So far, in my experience, the format has felt fairly quick. And my general thought is that I want to be leaning towards a deck that wants to attack unless I have a very strong incentive to do something otherwise in the rare or the uncommon or the synergy department. Like black, white, life gain can sort of slant either way. Like there's aggressive builds, there's more controlling builds. But unless I've got something like patient rebuilding or some other bomb that's wanting me to actively slow the game down, my default is I want to attack, I want to play some combat tricks, I want to play some removal. Pegasus Courser, Starcrown Stag, Angel of Dawn, the Three Musketeers in white, uh, those have been <laughs> great, and I think they're all at their best when they're attacking. You can't just pick Starcrown Stag, so that's the three and a white for the three three that when it attacks, tap target creature and opponent controls. That does not equate to a good card unless you have early drops in front of it and you're wanting to attack with it. If you're not attacking, it's a four mana three three, which is not a good card. So you actively need to be trying to put those cards in a deck that want to attack. And I could see as more people get on board with white being the best color, I think that's what you and I think, and that these cards are really good at attacking. I could see them becoming a little less good than they are because you can't get a critical mass of them. So as, as the more people try to draft white, the format might self-correct a little bit and slow down. But I think there's a, a lot of other uncommons, you know, like sleep, declare dominance that we've talked about that really reward having a lot of power and toughness on the battlefield. So my, my default is to, to pick some creatures, pick some combat tricks, pick some removal, unless I've got a reason to do otherwise. Yeah, for sure. I have felt the same though there's been a lot of comments in discord about like feels like games end on like turn six or turn 15 like that there is a sense of like yes maybe it's a racing format and the games end fairly quickly but it also feels like there are some games that stall out and then you're top decking and then cards like sleep or declare dominance may end up deciding those games right yes and i think resources also feel like they're trading off one for one a lot mm -hmm. so getting a two for one feels pretty huge to me yeah, I agree completely. So I talked a little bit about that time when about halfway through the week when I decided to look at my my three trophy decks and try and figure out what was what was winning for me, at least in a very small sample size. And that's when I started to get this idea that synergy felt like what was winning. And that surprised me because looking at the spoilers, I was like, well, there's like a black white deck. Maybe there's like a blue white artifact deck and that's maybe it. Um, but more and more looking at trophy decks, I started to see this trend of like 
The decks that were winning were the decks that had a pretty clear plan. There is like a small subset of trophy decks that seem to be like, I got, I picked a bomb first and I built the deck around that. And I think that also has a chance to trophy, but more often than not, because you're often not going to open bombs. I think the decks that had the most success were decks that were synergy driven. So the things that I noticed were that white seemed to be part of the the four strongest synergy decks or the four maybe clearest synergy decks. First one we've sort of alluded to is red, white, go wide. So this looks like it has like a critical mass of creatures, including multiple two drops and even one drops. And then you've got the go wide payoffs. Um, Trumpet blast, two and a red for the instant. All attacking creatures get plus two plus oh until end of turn. Inspired charge, two white, white for the instant to give all creatures that you control plus two plus one until end of turn heroic reinforcements that's the uncommon for two red white uh, sorcery you make two one ones and then all creatures you control get plus one plus one and haste until end of turn i also saw lena that's the the rare legendary creature that's four white white for a three three uh enters the battlefield and you make a one one token for each non-token creature you control um that was a top end feature of many red white trophy decks that were posted in our discord Um, but it does look like that deck has clear synergy and a really powerful payoff in commons and uncommons i absolutely agree next on this list we've got green white auras this deck is really looking to reap the benefits from satyr enchanter that's the gold card one green white for the two two whenever you cast an enchantment draw card and Druid of the Horns, that's three and a green for the two three. And whenever you target it with an enchantment, you get to make a three three beast creature token. Sometimes this deck just plays out where you slap an Oaken form on a threat early and ride it to victory. But depending on how many satyrs you get, can also play the long game and can grind a lot of card advantage with your auras. Um, and very important to note, I didn't notice this until it happened the first time. Satyr Enchanter triggers off of any enchantments, so Luminous Bonds, Gift of Paradise, Hieromancer's Cage, all the good removal also triggers Satyr, which makes it really go up in value, I think. Yeah, I've had the pleasure of having three Satyr Enchanters in two different decks, um, both of which trophied. And the play pattern was exactly that. Like either I could just get out to like a pretty quick start with a big threat or I was like just drawing three cards off of a- an aura being cast. You know, it's uh, it really has the duality there. Black White Life Gain. Uh, I think everyone sort of pegged this as a good deck from the start. Um, I think it's been in the spotlight from the beginning. There are many ways to gain life combined with the few powerful payoffs. Um, Epicure of Blood, that's a four and a black for the four four at common. That says whenever you gain life, uh, each opponent loses one life. So that card, I think just being at common really gives this deck uh, a lot of staying power. Um, makes for a very powerful deck that can win on many different angles. It's very resilient to the aggressive strategies. That's what you were sort of alluding to earlier about it just sort of shutting down those aggressive red-white decks or those aggressive red decks. Um, I think the key cards to this deck, you've got the Vampire Neonate that we talked about. That's a single black for the O3 that you can pay two and tap to drain the opponent for one. Sky March Bloodletter, the 2-2 Flyer that ETBs and drains for one. Regal Bloodlord, that's the uncommon we saw in our round table. Fountain of Renewal, that's the uh, single mana artifact at uncommon that gains a life uh, at each of your upkeeps, and then you can at some point later in the game, pay three to cash it in for a new card. That that deck seems really, really strong to me. I wish wish I could uh, have the chance to play it a, li- a little bit more. Yeah, I've played it several times. I think the key to that deck being good is repeatable sources of life gain. So Neonate, I think, is one of the best cards possible for that deck. I would play like three, maybe up to four Neonates happily in a dedicated black-white life gain deck. And Fountain of Renewal has also been impressive as a repeatable source of life gain that doesn't take a mana investment. And I think it's also awesome that Neonate and Epicure are both self-contained in black. 
And so I've, I've had neonate Epicure packages. We drafted a pretty sweet black green deck that had like three neonates and two Epicures. And it was just outstanding, even in like a green black sort of defensive deck. Yeah, for sure. Next on this list, we've got blue white artifacts. This deck's really looking to reap the benefits of the artifact payoff cards. Then there are a lot of clunky artifacts in this format that you don't really want to play in your artifacts deck. So grabbing the good ones is sort of a way to like stake your claim to this deck. So Diamond Mare is two mana for the one three. And when it ETBs, you choose a color. And whenever you cast a card of the chosen color, you gain a life. There's Gargoyle Sentinel, three mana for the three three. And you can pay three mana to have it lose defender and gain flying until end of turn. And there's Sky Scanner, three mana for the one one flyer. When it ETBs, you draw a card. Gearsmith Guardian, five mana for that three five. If you've got a blue creature, it turns into a five five. Fountain of Renewal is also a good artifact that stays on the battlefield in the artifacts deck. So really cutting those artifacts is a way to get into this deck, I think. And the benefits, if you've got the artifacts, are plentiful. There's Psy, Master Thopterus, two and a blue for the one four. Whenever you cast an artifact spell, make a one one artifact Thopter token, and you can sacrifice two artifacts by paying one and a blue to draw a card. Although I have not activated that mode of Psy yet. I've just been <laughs> wanting to make artifacts. My experience in activating that has been that you're usually on the back foot. You're like chumping with a Thopter and then sacking it and something else. So you're usually losing if you're activating that ability. That makes sense because I've just been winning. So oh, <laughs> there's aerial engineer. That's two white blue for the two four. If you've got an artifact, it gets plus two plus zero and gains flying. It's not. It doesn't have base flying. Important to note. I messed that up already. This format, ether shield artificer. That's three and a white for the three three. And at the beginning of combat on your turn, you can give target artifact plus two plus two and indestructible. Skilled animator two and a blue for the one three that turns an artifact into a five five base power and toughness. Scholar of Stars, three and a blue for the three, two, and an ETBs, you get to draw a card. If you control an artifact, there are tons of payoffs. To me, the hard part has been getting artifacts. And I think if you are the person that's picking up the good artifacts, you're likely to see these good payoff cards late because they literally are not good cards unless you have like six to eight artifacts in your deck. Right. Yeah. So it feels like getting into this deck is not through the things that care about artifacts, but through getting the good artifacts because there's not that many of them. Yeah. My most common way to get into the deck has been either drafting white or drafting blue, grabbing some good artifacts, and then I start to see the payoff cards and then I move in. Yeah. Monocolored decks, I think, belong in the synergy category as well. All right. We talked about how I've done mono green three times. We've done mono white, mono blue, seen a lot of mono red decks on Twitter. Mono green seems to be like an aura strategy, exploiting Blanchwood armor. That's the aura that cares about the number of forests that you control. Uh, mono white is going to be aggressive and curve out, as well as mono red. Mono blue looked like it was control, card draw, flyers. Mono black, I think, is going to be difficult because of uh, the lack of commons. But I think these are real decks. They, I don't think this is a fluke of us just like hitting some weird patch of variants. I think this is something that exists in the format as, and is something you want to look out for. Yeah. And then some other color pairs that aren't white. Uh, Red-green synergy is sort of all about four power creatures, really taking advantage of Colossal Majesty. That's the two and a green enchantment. If you control a creature with power four or greater at the beginning of your upkeep, draw a card. I think you sort of stumbled onto that deck through our Discord. Yeah, someone on Discord was talking about how they had trophied with these sort of like green X decks that cared about four power creatures and that they felt like uh, people were sleeping on Colossal Majesty. And I was like, I think I'm sleeping on Colossal Majesty. Can you tell me why you think it's good? And uh, this person, uh, Descent is their name in Discord, uh, he just sort of rattled off what he felt this deck was trying to do and why it was good. Like I had sort of had in my mind that Colossal Majesty wanted like 
eight or more four power creatures. Um, but he seemed to be pretty happy with seven, maybe six in a, in a deck that like just looked like it was going to run away with the game. And that's where you got these like Onaki Ogres on the wheel. That's the two and a red for the four two, which looks like a terrible card, but is actually pretty good in this deck. And then I ended up that day drafting two decks with Colossal Majesty in them and going five one total with those decks. I think that's a that's a real card to look out for. Yeah, there's also blue red spells. I've been I haven't drafted this deck yet, but I've played against it. This is a scary deck to play against. It operates almost totally at instant speed with cards like Essence Scatter, Anticipate, Shock, Electrify, and then has Enigma Drakes as like a very, very strong win condition that closes out the game really quickly. That deck is very, very scary. There's blue black, which sort of has some graveyard recursion, grind them out shenanigans going on. Salvager of Secrets really shines there. Three blue blue for the two two when it ETBs. Return target instant or sorcery from your graveyard to your hand. There's macabre waltz to buy back creatures. Start the loop where you salvager and you macabre waltz and you disperse and you switch a roo. It's got all that nonsense going on. I was going to ask if you knew that you could cast salvager of secrets <laughs> and then you could give it to your opponent with switch roo and then you could disperse your own salvager back to your hand. Just do that again. Speaking of uh, disperse shenanigans, a uh, corner case that exists in the format, you can. Uh, with your favorite card, Dwindle, oh, no. um, you can disperse Dwindle back to your own hand. If you put Dwindle on an opponent's creature and they block with it, when the destroy trigger goes on the stack from Dwindle, you can disperse your Dwindle back to your hand to reuse it since Dwindle is such an all-star in the format. I reject the premise of casting Dwindle on my opponent's creatures. <laughs> we'll get into that in a little bit. And there's also a red-black sacrifice that's been very strong. I've I've faced a red-black sacrifice deck, and I was terrified of them having active treason. The the two color pairs that I can't quite figure out are blue-green and black-green. Like their uncommons don't seem to point me to anything other than just like pile of good cards. So those feel like the two decks that just are the sum of their parts. And those are usually just going to be good cards. I'm not saying you can't win with blue, green or black, green, um, but I just don't see like exactly what those decks are trying to do as clearly as I feel like I do the other eight color pairs. Yeah, we'll have to keep exploring that and maybe we'll have better answers for you soon. Yeah, for sure. I think that cards that are flexible synergy pieces are things you want to be looking out for. So two cards that I've been like really excited about are Fountain of Renewal. That's the artifact that gains you life every turn and Diamond Mare, the two mana one three those go up in value i think because like diamond mare is going to be really strong in the blue white artifacts deck and really strong in a white black life gain deck and probably still strong in like a blue black deck because you might have sub themes of either of those going on um same deal with fountain of renewal i think looking out for cards that might slot into multiple synergy decks um, is going to be a way to like stay open but also keep your deck powerful at the end of the draft i absolutely agree Next on this list, we've got your favorite card, Dwindle, to talk about. Lay it on us. Okay, so this happened after the sealed weekend. I was sort of down on Dwindle, and then I started off the week of draft feeling the same way. And it's something that I feel like I've had to defend a lot on stream. And so I tried to put it into words. I put this on Twitter and in Discord. So if you've seen this already, apologize for being redundant. But I, I felt like this sort of, once I sat down to figure out exactly why I felt this way about Dwindle, why I didn't like that card anymore, sort of allowed me to highlight some things about the format. I think removal is less good in this format in general. So in all seven of my trophy decks, I have not had more than two removal spells in each of them. And that has been kind of a trend I've seen in a lot of decks that have been trophying and posted in our Discord. There's just not a ton of removal. Like you probably need an answer or two if they have a bomb, but this deck does not seem to be about interacting and disrupting your opponent's plan, but it seems to be more about building your own synergy. So if we look at all the white synergy decks, the pieces are 
kind of individually lackluster, right? Are you going to cast Lich's Caress on a volley veteran after it's entered the battlefield and picked off a creature? Or a Scholar of Stars after it's drawn a card because you control an artifact? Or a Druid of Horns after it's made a 3-3? Or do you want to pick off their their life gain payoff or their life gain creator in black white. Like there's a lot of different things that you want to kill, but they're all not great because they're working towards a greater plan. So that's sort of my feeling about removal in general being perhaps not as good as it has been in previous formats. So would you say, so could you say that it's similar to Ixalan, except like we're not really, we're not really in enhancements territory like we were with one with the wind, but creatures are either like you're not interested in removing them at all, or you're very interested in removing them. So re- removal is slightly less good than it normally would be, especially like middle of the road removal, like strangling spores and electrify, like those four mana, like don't kill the really good cards, but then you don't want to use them trading down on like your opponent's two drops. Exactly right. Like you're the things that you want to kill are the bombs. And it kind of feels bad when you don't get to do that, but you have the removal in your hand. Like, I don't know. I feel like I'm often in this scenario where like even a Sky March Bloodletter, it feels bad to use removal on that card. Like it's a three mana, two, two flyer. It's fine. But like I'm often trading down on mana if I'm using any sort of removal spell on it. And that's not really the thing that I'm going to need to kill. Like I'm going to need to kill something else if I'm going to need to kill something in the games. And I'd rather just be working towards my own deck synergy than trying to interrupt what my opponent is doing. Right. So maybe we need to come up with some sort of a new acronym that has synergy in it. Ooh, I like it. What is that acronym going to be, though? Yeah, I don't know that there's a cute acronym that we can come up with, but sort of the order that I'm prioritizing things in is bombs and then synergy, like my deck really having a synergistic plan or a focused plan. And then really good removal like Lich's Caress or Luminous Bonds that can deal with anything. And then really good two drops because two drops are hard to come by. And then sort of the rest of it all like you normally would under bread. Yeah. So I don't know. Bistro doesn't quite work. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you get the idea. So so my first point is I think removal just is in general not as good in this format as perhaps it was in, in Dominaria. And last week we talked about Dwindle and Luminous Bonds being underperformers for me and i think for for you a little bit as well and i think they just do less than you want against a lot of these effects right so you, you don't want to pick off a token in blue white or red white and in black white and green white the key cards all have abilities on them so you not removing them doesn't really do the thing you want like you're still going to draw your card with satyr enchanter you're still going to drain your opponent with your epicure of blood like all of the things have these static abilities more so than i think maybe we thought at the beginning of the format They both also suffer from blue having favorable ways to interact with auras, with Disperse, Switcheroo, uh, the uncommon Mana War creature, and the fact that Naturalize effects, which I would like to talk about in a second, are near to, if not already, main deckable. And I think Dwindle, more so than Luminous Bonds in particular, suffers from the fact that the creature can still attack and block once. So it doesn't turn off the abilities of powerhouse commons like Pegasus Courser and Starcrown Stag in racing situations. The fact that your removal spell still gives them a chump block, I think, is a real cost. I think you are giving up a lot of tempo that you might be gaining by playing a three-mana removal spell, but you still can't perhaps swing the race in in your favor. Dwindle is now a C-minus for me. I think it's a fantastic sideboard against like flyers like Snapping Drake or Colossal Dreadmaw. And I will probably main deck one, but I am not prioritizing this card anymore. Yeah, I agree. And it's hard to articulate like how much worse Dwindle is than Luminous Bonds, but it is significantly worse just with the one attack that you allow or the one block that you allow. Like, I think that's been the hardest thing to defend 
on stream for both me and you. Like people say, well, if Luminous Bonds is so good, why is Dwindle so bad? And it's it really is noticeably worse than Luminous Bonds. Them blocking in a format where games are ending like fairly quickly, a lot of times that swings a race, the one block. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So I did want to ask about where you're at on naturalize effects. I've been happy, especially in black, white life gain, uh, main decking and invoke the divine, the two and a white destroy target artifact or enchantment gain for. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's not unreasonable. I was thinking about this the other day because I was feeling like, oh, I will absolutely main deck a reclamation sage. And then I was like, but I don't care about a two one in this format. That's almost never doing anything. And so if I'm so happy to main deck what is an irrelevant creature attached to a naturalize effect, I should probably be pretty happy to main deck a naturalize effect. Now, I think naturalize is certainly the worst of those three. Like Invoke the Divine does have the benefit of if you're in white, you probably have something that cares about life gain maybe. Um, And certainly if you're in black, white, or just like getting for life is nice. And people have pointed out to me that, well, if you have Reclamation Sage, then you don't feel bad about like just picking off a Thopter, which you would feel if you just had Invoke the Divine. But the fact that like there are just like some good artifacts running around that two removal spells or enchantments three if you count the uh, hieromancer's cage i think naturalize effects might be main deckable killing your opponent's gearsmith guardian with a naturalize or invoke the divine yep. feels great yeah or their stupid bookcase also like i think i think i'm there i think i'm there on one being good yeah Next, we've got overperformers and underperformers to take a look at in the context of draft this week. Last week, we did this for sealed, and we've got some different cards here for draft. First on the list is my boy, Vampire Neonate, single black for an 3 to tap, drain your opponent. Card just opens up so much synergy. It blocks early, which is great. And I think the other thing that it does is we've talked about how black's commons aren't super deep, like they tend to fall off very quickly. Having two Neonates in your deck turns Epicure of Blood into a card you're actively interested in, whereas otherwise it's not a card you're interested in. So I think for that reason, Vampire Nina is just a very good black common. Yeah, next on this list, we've got Combat Tricks. I think probably more specifically Titanic Growth in green, the two mana plus four plus four. And I would say Mighty Leap in white, one and a white for the plus two plus two and flying. Uh, those have been really, really strong. And uh, just when your opponent has two mana up in this format, um, them having those or maybe access to Disperse or some of the, the more expensive Combat Tricks. They're real. I mean, this is a format about attacking and blocking, and sometimes blocking feels pretty scary when your opponent has access to those cards. Next up, Dwarven Priest. Point for Ethan. Three and a white for a 2-4 when ETBs gain one life for each creature you control. I'm continually impressed when this card is cast. I've not cast it much myself, but I groan when my opponents cast it because most of my decks have been on the attacking plan. And this swings a race pretty heavily. Uh, if you're racing with your opponent because you're not trading creatures when you're racing and then it's got life gain synergy in the black white deck i think it just does a lot omen speaker this is a card that has just gone up and up and up for us uh, one and a blue for the one three that etbs and scries to just a fantastic two drop in a format where i don't feel like there's a lot of good two drops yeah the epicure that's four and a black for the four four vamp when you gain a life your opponent loses a life that in combination with neonates i think is a very real thing in not black white decks like the fact that those are self-contained in black and again picking those neonates early so that you can turn epicures into good cards. I've been happy with that package in black green. I've not played black red yet, but I could also see being very happy with that package in a blue black control deck, like just with neonates and epicures as my way to win the game. Bristling Boar is another card that I've been really impressed with more so than I thought. I was sort of down on this after sealed um, because I felt like a lot of the four drops were replaceable. So this is three and a green for the four three that can only be blocked by one creature. 
This, especially in combination with something like Talons of Wildwood, that's the aura that gives a creature plus one, plus one, and trample. This is, that's felt like a pretty good combination because your opponent can't really chump this and they can't double block it effectively. And often a 5-4 trampler is just bigger than everything on the battlefield. Yeah, Bristling Boar is scary, especially if you played on turn three off of a Druid of the Cowl. Yeah, my boy. That's one of the best starts in the format, I think, for green. Next on the list, more points for Ethan. Auras. First, we were too high, then we were too low, and I think now we're back where they belong. Yeah, so it's not all auras, and it's basically just Oaken Form. I think it's just the green ones, like Oaken Form, Blanchwood Armor, and Talons, right? Those feel like really strong because green-white has the payoffs, but also just in green, you've got Druid, you've got the Vine Mare, the Hexproof creature to put it on. The, the green auras have felt really good. I'm sort of surprised that Ether Tunnel has not felt good. I mean, you sort of pegged that at the start. That's the unblockable aura. I have not found that card to be impressive, but the green ones have really looked pretty good. Making things bigger than everything on the battlefield has felt tough to deal with. I think Talons is the best, followed by Oaken Form, unless, unless you're in like a dedicated green white auras deck and then maybe i want some more oaken forms than i have talons but the first copy of talons feels so good in green decks yeah i've been happy just playing talons without any synergies and then the other copies of auras then i want something like a hexproof creature or an, an aura payoff card that sort of thing but talons has felt really good but not just planning on like running oaken form out on turn three and praying right right yeah i'm not dying to do that like I'll, I'll be happy to side that in if i feel like i'm not playing against a blue opponent but yeah i think i think talons is, is the best of the bunch in a vacuum yeah next up gearsmith guardian five mana for that three five if you control a blue creature it gets plus two plus oh just rock solid in the blue artifact deck. Sleep, we've talked about this, the Oops, I Win card. This card is fantastic. I mean, I, we thought it was going to be good, and it's just better than that. Yeah, and we've also got a few artifacts here for the aforementioned reasons. Diamond Mare, Gargoyle, Sentinel, Fountain of Renewal. They just turn on so many options for you in the draft. Colossal Majesty, we talked about this. That's the two and a green enchantment that cares about you having four power creatures to draw a card at the beginning of your turn. I think the card's real and worth building around. Last on the list, we've got Hired Blade and Loxodon Linebreaker. They're two and a white or two and a black for a 3-2 vanilla, respectively. These cards have done a significant amount of work for me. Three three mana for three power is good. They're a little bit worse than Centaur Courser, but they're in colors that don't usually get three mana three threes. And they do a very good job attacking into one threes. Yeah, I'm not convinced on the three mana three two, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hear you out here and rather than just go like, no, I don't think that's right, but you've been winning. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take that to heart and maybe move those up a little bit in my prioritization. Moving on to underperformers, Cavalry Drillmaster, one and a white for the two one when it ETBs. Target creature gets plus two plus oh in first strike. Sounds like maybe you don't think of this as an underperformer. I mean, I have not thought of this card as being good, so it hasn't underperformed for me. I've I've rarely put this in decks. Yeah, it just feels like it doesn't quite get there without a ton of synergy. And I like it a lot better if you've got Angels of the Dawn at the top of your curve or Pegasus Coursers to help jump it into the air. But outside of that, just playing this as an aggressive two drop, I don't think is good enough. Yeah, I mostly feel great when my opponent plays it. Like, yeah, sometimes it's like a two mana. It enables an attack for like four damage, but then it's just a dead card. So it's like a two mana mini lava axe. That just feels. That's sort, yeah, that's sort of what it feels like. Inspired charge in non-dedicated token decks. I don't think you're just jamming this in like blue-white. I think this is basically a red-white gold card and probably should not be played otherwise. Yeah, it's I've, I have tried to play it in green-white and blue-white, and every time it's just felt bad and I ended up citing it out. Yeah. Dwindle we've already talked about. Strangling Spores. This is another soapbox card for us over the week. Three and a black for an instant. Target creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn. It's just so mediocre. It just never kills the thing you want to kill. And when you kill something, you're oftentimes trading down on mana. 
I'm going to play it in my black decks, but it's it's a clunky card. The last underperformer on the list is Doomed Dissenter. That's one on a black for the 1-1. One, one. When it dies, you make a 2-2 two, two zombie. This is, I think, just secretly a red-black gold card. Like, it shines in the red-black sacrifice deck, and otherwise, I don't know what it's doing in the format. Yep. Um, so we're going to take a look at a re-ranking of top commons. This was pretty hard for us this week. I think some colors felt pretty easy, but some colors we had a lot of back and forth discussion, more so than we've had since we've been doing this re-ranking on the podcast. I think the other cool thing is we've Skyped into each other's streams quite a bit this first week, which we don't normally do. Yeah. So we've been having like conversations about it, which is good. Mm -hmm. All right. So for white, this felt pretty easy. I think we're, we're on the same page here. Number one, Luminous Bonds, followed by Star Crowned Stag, followed by Angel of the Dawn. In blue, number one, head and shoulders above the rest, Essence Scatter. I sent you a text message that had top blue commons as one, two, and three with Essence Scatter. <laughs> and then number two and three, we kept talking about over the course of the week, and we never could come to a consensus. And part of that is because they all go in different decks, I think, and they all shine in different decks. Mm -hmm. So we have any of the following as numbers two and three, depending on what deck you're headed towards. Omen Speaker, Salvager of Secrets, Aviation Pioneer, Avon Wind Mage, Disperse, and Dwindle. And you, did you, I'm sorry, what did you just, you said Dwindle? <laughs> did you? I did say Dwindle. So Ethan made this list and I just kind of tacked Dwindle on at the end of there. I, just to, to tilt me, to to like, because you don't like me, you want to hurt me. Why Why would you do such a I thing? Think, I think Dwindle's a fine card. I think it's close to the power level of these other cards. No way. No way. I, I We can, we're, we have to disagree here because I think, I think Dwindle's a C minus and the rest of those cards are Cs or C pluses. That's, yeah, that's fair. Uh, and so the decks those go in, Omen Speaker goes in any defensive blue deck. Salvager goes way up in value if you have instants and sorceries. And we initially had that as the number two. But so often we found ourselves cutting it if we didn't have a critical mass of instants and sorceries or good instants and sorceries. Aviation Pioneer obviously excels in the artifact deck. Avon Wind Mage excels in blue-red. Disperse probably good in any blue deck, but like is not the second or third best blue common, I don't think. Like you want one, two in your blue decks. Yeah, for sure. I also think Salvager of Secrets suffers from being in contention with Gearsmith Guardian a lot of the time for your five drop slot. Um, that was another thing that I felt like we were wrestling with this week of like well how many five drops are we running in our decks and which is better and it's just blue's got a lot of moving pieces that that can sort of be interchangeable depending on what the deck's plan is black feels pretty straightforward for us we've got lich's caress at number one sky march blood letter up to number two strangling spores nowhere to be found number three vampire neonate yeah i'm so happy we got vampire neonate into the top three commons it just feels so good to me i agree Next, red that I still haven't played, so I don't have strong feelings here. This is all coming from you, baby. Number one, shock. Number two, electrify. Number three, spark tongue dragon. Yeah, I mean, I don't really like any of these cards. I don't think shock is particularly good, and I don't think electrify is particularly good. And spark tongue dragon at least has some synergies in the format. But maybe, maybe at some point we'll we'll have like goblin instigator on this list because we want to be just only going wide when we're doing red red shenanigans we'll have to see i have liked shock quite a bit but i've also not played red but it's felt very good for my opponents so it's interesting to me to hear you say that shock's not that good yeah i mean it's great when it picks off a snapping drake but a lot of the times you might be staring down x3s and it feels terrible green point for ethan number one <laughs> druid of the cowl 
Number two, Rabid Bite. Number three, Centaur Courser. I would like to note that we haggled, at, well, I haggled over the course of the week to try to get Rabid Bite at number one, but Ethan held firm. And I think I'm with him. I was talking to Ehe Dude about this, and he thinks Rabid Bite is a more versatile first pick than Druid of the Cowl, but the green decks really want Druid of the Cowl to ramp them to four. Um, but he said he would first pick Rabid Bite over Druid of the Cowl, but that he thinks Druid of the Cowl is a better card. And I think I agree with that. See that I am. I'm not quite on board with that. I think I mean, I guess I think Rabid Bite is a better card, but I think Druid of the Cowl is a more important card for green deck. So I'm, I'm not first picking Rabid Bite over Druid. I'm first picking Druid. It just feels like what green wants to do. It wants to get to four, five and six a turn sooner. We are not quite in agreement on our top five commons overall, but we are in agreement of our top five colors, our ranking of the colors. What do we got there? Ranking of the colors at number five, red at the worst, number four, black, number three, green, number two, blue, and number one on the back of its sick run of commons, white. Yeah, for sure. So my top five commons overall, I've got number one, Luminous Bonds, number two, Lich's Caress, number three, Druid of the Cowl, four, Starcrown Stag, and five, Essence Scatter. And mine go Luminous Bonds, Lich's Caress, number three, Stag, number four, Angel of the Dawn, and number five, Essence Scatter. Yeah, white is just such a powerhouse in this format. Yeah, it is an absolute beating. Listeners, we've got a surprise for you. We didn't spoil this until just now. We've got the M19 treasure hunt achievement list here for you. I am so excited. You came up with most of these. We had some listener submissions, but all the naming is you. You absolutely crushed this list. Thank you. Thank you. So without further ado, here we go. Number one, can touch this. Kill five creatures with declare dominance plus basilisk. Number two, peak meme, cast apex of power. Number three, Orcestral Recall. Cast an enchantment with three Seder enchanters in play. And number four, a rock and a hard place. Win by milling with millstone or psychic corrosion. Number five, come fly with me. Have six thopters on your side of the battlefield. And yes, Skyscanner counts. Number six, Gentle Giant. Attack with an unblockable Gigantosaurus. Number seven, Switcherude. Exchange a creature with Dwindle or Luminous Bonds on it for an opponent's creature using Switcheroo. Did you hear something? Sacrifice your opponent's creature with Thud. Number nine, it's the Circle of Life. Having a Johnny's Pride Mate with eight plus one plus one counters on it. Number ten, Dying of Thirst. Give a creature minus six minus six with Nightmare's Thirst. Number eleven, what is this cube? Have five dual lands in play. Number 12, I love this name. <laughs> bat not included. Create a bat off of your desecrated tomb trigger. Number 13, Zombie Land. Play a land from your graveyard with Crucible of Worlds. Number 14, Hoarder. Have a Dragon's Horde with three gold counters on it. Number 15, have you lost weight? Thin your deck of all your lands using Scapeshift. I'm so psyched. Yeah, this is going to be great. So for those of you who have not listened before, we've got these 15 achievements for you. So the idea is you unlock one by taking a screenshot of it in your game on MTGO, sending it to us either on Twitter or to our email address. And if you unlock five of them, you'll be entered into a giveaway to receive a draft set of your choice uh, of either the current limited format or perhaps the, the previous one that'll be in the 6222 normal queues. And for each achievement that we unlock as a community, that's one hour that Ben and I will do of a joint stream together. So up to a 15-hour stream together. 
and we've got the standard wager of whichever one of us crosses off more gets that first time slot. Yeah, I got to do that in Dominaria. You were pretty salty about that. I think you might be trying a little harder this time. I'm gunning. I'm coming for you. All right. Can't wait. Um, we're looking forward to seeing your submissions and all the sweet things that folks will be doing during M19 Limited this summer. Yeah. Next episode, we'll be diving further and further into how to draft M19 and give you the most up-to-date information on how to win. As always, thank you to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. I know I will be because I will be editing the podcast this week. Da-da-da-da. You're going to crush it. I can't wait. Ooh, I hope so. I hope so. If you want to get in touch with us, if you want to come spam our Twitch chats, if you want to get in touch with us on Twitter, uh, I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We are both under those same usernames on Twitter. And you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you are submitting treasure hunt submissions, make sure you hashtag M19 treasure hunt when you tag us in the tweet. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. you sneak dwindle back onto our get this out <laughs> are of you here. Really... yeah no it's... way no way you think all of those cards on that list are better than dwindle yes i do <laughs> man the hate is real